Isn't God good to us? Amen. Excited to be preaching to you, teaching to you tonight. Amen. Wanted to finish this lesson. Praise the Lord. Why don't we stand to our feet? Amen. I did that last time. I sent my little girl on a wild glasses chase. Amen. Got them right here. Revelation chapter 1, beginning with verse 12. Before we start reading, I want to say thank you so much for honoring us. Amen. I know Pastor already said it. Uh, we set out to just honor Pastor and his family. Amen. And you all saw fit. Amen. To include myself and my family. And we sure appreciate that. You all are always so kind and as always so generous. Amen. Uh, with your, your love. And we appreciate that. Thank you very much. Revelation chapter 1. Beginning with verse 12, uh, this is the same portion of scripture that we read last time. I'm not going to, as much as Sister Roshana wanted me to do a recap of the first four churches, uh, I'm not going to do that. We have wonderful technology where it is recorded. If you need to hear what I have said about the other churches, you can go back and you can read, uh, you can uh, listen to that or I think in some instances even watch it. I'm not sure exactly how all of that is working, amen, but... You can go back and review that if you'd like to. Tonight we're going to do the last three churches, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Amen. And I want to uh, finish this lesson. Some of you uh, were asking for it. Amen. And I was excited to do it. So let's get into that. Verse 12, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were, like, were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like undefined brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last." This is Jesus himself speaking. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are seven churches. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Once again, I would remind you that there is an order in which Jesus himself, if, if you'll allow me to say it this way, dictated these letters, amen, to John. There was a little bit of an order, almost uh, seven sections, if you will, and they go a little bit like this. And sometimes when you're reading, amen, in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3, that's where the seven churches are addressed. Sometimes when you're reading them, uh, if you'll take the time to read as they are broken up, if, as, as long as you know how they're broken up, if you take the time to read how he is addressing that church, it is very, very helpful and insightful, amen, to your study. He starts out greeting uh, the, the seven churches. For every church, he starts out with a different greeting, and he gives a description for himself, amen, this is for the purpose, and you'll notice if you go back and review, or you'll notice in the next three 
churches that we're going to study, you'll notice that for every church, he gives a different description of himself. He lays himself out there to them saying that I am, I, I am a, uh, and he'll give a description of himself writing to you because of this purpose. And, and for every church, he is specifically saying, I am addressing what you need, whether he is giving them credit or correction, he is addressing them specifically for their need in their church. Can I get an amen? He then proceeds to give them some insights into the seven churches, the things that he knows about them, the things that he uh, has, has observed about them, amen, and then he will go on to give them correction if need be. Uh, it's important to note or it's interesting to note that there are two churches of the seven that don't receive any correction. They only get uh, credit from God or they, uh, they will also get a, a promise. If you will maintain this, if you'll stay in that, uh, I will give you this or this will be the reward. And that brings us to the next section where he will not only give them the correction or their credit, but then he will always also give them the promised reward. Amen? Or give them the promise of a reward if they continue. We are starting tonight. Let me make sure I'm there. I'm not. We are starting uh, in Revelation chapter 3, uh, beginning with or the, the verses of Scripture that we are going to cover are verses 1 through 6. Amen. And this church is called the church of Sardis. Sardis is the city. There's a church there in Sardis. Amen. And there are a few things that are known, and, and I could give you the, the, the sources, amen, from where I draw, but there are different places that you can research and different people that are historians of those times, and they could tell you what was important. They could tell you some characteristics and details of, the, of, of these cities and of these areas, amen. I'm just going to give you a few minor details because we could spend, I think the last time pa Pastor taught on this, he spent a lesson on each church, so we could really get into some details, some historical things, and things like that. But I really just want to address what God was addressing in that church and how he was, amen, writing this letter to them and what he was trying, amen, to say to them. Revelation chapter 3, uh, you, can, you can read along if you want. I'm not going to read it every time. I'm going to kind of break it up and go along as I go. Sardis, uh, historically, was a city that was known for the easy money. Uh, that's the best way that I could put it. They were a church or a city that was at a crossroads where there were many, many trade routes that went through their city. So they had uh, the opportunity for buying and selling, and it just kind of came easy to them. Everything uh, was kind of centrally located for them, and it was where this was where people came to buy and sell and trade, and they had their different goods, amen. And this was uh, notoriously a very loose, morally loose environment. Not only was it a, a place for easy money, but it was also a very loose moral environment within that city. Amen. They enjoyed a life of luxury. Amen. They were soft, and they were uh, lacking in discipline and dedication historically. And God addresses that, and we'll, we'll read that as we go, but he addresses that. But one of the most interesting things that we will learn or that I learned about this city was that Sardis was, it had a great natural defense. All the way around Sardis was, uh, I guess it wasn't 360 degrees, but for the most part, all around Sardis was a natural defense of high cliffs that their enemies just simply could not scale. 
They didn't have the, the tools that we have now. They didn't have the technology that we have. And so they had that, that natural defense. But remember, Sardis is soft in their ways. They're soft in their dedication. They're used to that easy money. They're, 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 uh, they're uh, laid back, if you will. They're, 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 they don't take things, I don't want to say they don't take them real serious, but when it comes to the, uh, to the, to the difficult things, they're not the ones that are going to put their shoulder to the wheel and really grind it out. Amen. So Sardis had this natural defense that nobody was able to really penetrate or scale those walls or those cliffs. And so uh, they, they, the, the enemies did not find a common, or they didn't find very often that they could be overthrown. But there were a few times that Sardis was overthrown. One of them, the first time, was when one king had told his soldiers and his army that anybody, if somebody could figure out how to climb these cliffs and get through this natural defense, then he would give them a great reward. So the, the history tells us that this soldier, or these soldiers, in particular one of them, spent a lot of time observing the city and watching the walls and watching those that came in and out of the city and trying to figure out how that they were going to uh, get inside of Sardis and get there and overthrow them and, uh, and ultimately conquer them. So watching them, he noticed that one of the soldiers of the city there was on top of the wall and the, the history tells us that that man's helmet fell down that cliff and that soldier of the enemy actually watched that man as he took a secret path down the cliffs to the bottom of the cliff and retrieved his helmet and went back to the city. Because they found that hidden pathway, if you will, they were able in the cover of night to slip in, get into the city, but here's the key. Because Sardis was soft and they, they weren't greatly dedicated and they weren't really worried. They were used to that life of luxury. This uh, historian that I was reading that was talking about this said that when they got up that path and they got to the top of that cliff, when they got there, none of the soldiers were in their posts. None of them were at their stations. They had just had so much confidence in their natural defense that they felt like they could neglect a man guarding and watching the city. Dangerous. And, and I couldn't help but to think, you know, as Christians, uh, and, 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 you know, what we will learn from these churches is, yes, as a church we can learn some things from these different churches, but these things can also be applied to our individual lives. Amen. That we have a natural defense, and there are things that we... Uh, know that naturally that we can do, amen, and we try to do them. We try to stay moral. We try to stay ethical. We try to be honest. All of those kinds of things that, and, and, you, and you, can, you can keep listing, you can keep naming the list. You know, we try to keep certain things within the covenant of marriage. We try to, amen, stay real clear on gender distinction. We, and, and we can go on and on and on, on on the things that we use as a natural defense that if we keep them, they do keep us, if, if I can use this word, and I know the Bible says that no man is good, but in our eyes, they will keep us good if we're an honest person, if we're a moral person, if we're an ethical person, if we keep that line of natural defense. But here is the, is the, the danger, amen, and the thing that we must remember is that 
just like in Ephesus when it talked about you have left your first love. And, and we even, we even, it goes on to talk about the first works. And it says, and we mentioned that when we were talking about Ephesus, amen, that that is a Christian's dedication and relationship with God. Although we have this natural defense and we have things that we can put up and things that can help keep us and keep us safe, amen, and keep us away from trouble, amen, in this life, we still have to maintain a life of prayer and a life of fasting and a relationship with God and faithfulness to the church. If we allow ourselves to only depend on the natural defense and we refuse or we neglect our post or we walk away, uh, amen, from the, from, uh, from the places we have been set to be watchmen and soldiers and guard against, amen, we can be overthrown by our enemy. Can I get an amen? It is important and imperative that in the spirit, amen, we keep our hearts guarded. We keep our minds guarded, amen. And we take it the next step that we never get relaxed. We never get comfortable. We never feel uh, 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 safe just in our life or the, the, the things that we are trying to do. We must always maintain that we have a reliance and a dependence on the presence and the spirit of God. Amen. Revelation 3.1, he starts out like this. These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. I think it's important to point out the, the, that he uses that number seven here. I'm not a big number guy, and this is the number of that, and this is the number of this. I'm just, I'm just not that guy. I, I think that it has some relevance. But, you know, I'm just not that guy. Maybe it's just not my interest. But it is important to point out here that he goes to the extent to say that I have the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Amen. What he is saying, that number seven, is represents a fullness, a completeness. Amen. And what he is saying is, I am fully God. I have, the, I have the fullness of the Spirit of God. I have the fullness, amen, of the power and of the authority. I am the one in, in the fullness, amen. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says this, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete. In him, which is the head of all principality and power. He that hath the seven spirits of God. When he was saying that, he was in essence saying, I am the fullness of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And I alone can give the fullness of God's spirit. Amen. To the churches. He was the fullness of the Holy Ghost. And in him was the full ability to give it. Amen. He said, I have the seven stars in my hands. He was talking about the churches. He was saying, I have the fullness of the churches in my hand. You are in my hand and you are in my protection. Isn't that awesome? That we can lean and depend and know that we are in the hand of God. Now we get to the section where he's talking to Sardis and he's making these observations. He says, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. In other words, you have a name. In other words, you have a reputation that you are living. You are walking around like you have life and you have this reputation and you have this outward appearance that you are living. He said, but in fact, you are actually 
dead. You are walking around dead, amen. And what he's referring to is you're living this outward life and you're giving the appearance that you're doing what you ought to be doing, but really on the inside, you are bankrupt spiritually. And on the inside, you are dead, amen, and you are not living the way that you ought to be. In other words, inside, there is no substance to you. You are just an outer shell, amen. Paul warned Timothy, amen, that in the last days, there would be those that would have a form of godliness, but they would deny the power thereof. And he said, from such, turn away. This is Sardis. Amen. The church of Sardis was at peace, but it was a rest in peace, if you will. It was, they were, they were not struggling, they were not battling, they were not fighting. Amen. According to Jesus himself, they were comfortable, they were content, they were lax, they were lethargic, and in his words, they were dead. Amen. What would he have Sardis to do? Revelation chapter 3. Read with me if you would. Beginning with verse 2. He said be watchful. Remember we talked about the, the soldiers that should have been up on the wall. When that, those cliffs got climbed. And the enemy came creeping in. In the, in the, in the dark of night. Amen. And so he said. And, and then there was no soldiers there. What Jesus is saying here is. Be watchful. Be mindful. Stay at your post. Keep guard, amen, if you will. And strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. He's saying, get back to your post. Have revival, amen. Finish what you have started, praise the Lord. Do what you said you're going to do, amen. And although he said they were dead, watch this, this is where we always find hope, and this is where I always get excited when we're talking about these churches. Even though Jesus himself said they were dead, they were not hopeless. Look at verse 3. He said, Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. There there are a few that still have a reputation in heaven. Verse 4. This is what he was saying. That there, there are a few among you that still have a reputation in heaven. Verse 4. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He promised in Revelation 3.5. He said, He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. This is what I love. We read about a city here that Jesus himself is writing a letter to, that he is taking the time to instruct them and correct them, amen, and maybe even give them credit where, where they might need a little bit of credit. But what he is saying is in all of that, although I, I, I'm declaring you dead today, you are not hopeless. If, the, if those few among you that are still living this, that still have a name, that still recognize the right way, if there are still a few among you, amen, and there are, he said, if they will hold fast, if they will overcome, they can be with me in heaven. Amen. Isn't that awesome? That in all of that, there was still hope. The second church is the church of Philadelphia. Revelation 3, beginning with verse 7. Amen. This is the second church of only two churches that do not get any correction. 
The other one was Smyrna, amen. And, the, and it's, it's, it's unique because it seemed like in every church there was going to be something that needed to be fixed. And we know that Smyrna was the church, amen, that was known as the persecuted church. They were the church that couldn't have job. they didn't have jobs, they were poor, they were always getting things stolen from them, they were always getting blocked from getting employment and all of those kinds of things. They were persecuted. And so God gave them credit for that because even though in all of the persecution and all of the things that they did not have, they still hung on to their faith in God. Can I get an amen? Philadelphia, uh, on the other hand, is a church a, or a city, amen, that the Bible tells us, or, and that history tells us, a man that was known, and, and, and the title for this church and what they are known for is the Faithful Church. Uh, Sardis was known as the Dead Church, and Philadelphia is known as the Faithful Church. It's the second of only two churches that did not receive any correction. Philadelphia actually means brotherly love. Read with me, if you will, in verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy... He that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. Amen. I want you to, I want you to start realizing, if you haven't, and if you weren't here for the other four churches, that when God addresses them and describes himself, it's different every time. And it's because he's trying to get their attention. Because later, when he starts giving them some correction, he is going to correct them in areas where he is going to, in the beginning, tell them that I'm going to bridge the gap, that I am the answer to this problem that you have. I am, uh, amen, the, the source from which you can grow, you can draw your strength. He's telling them, first of all, he said, I am holy. He that is holy. This is not a tendency, amen. This is God's absolute being. He did not have a tendency towards holiness. It was not something that he did on Monday and Tuesday, but not on Wednesday. He was letting them know, I'm holy. That is my being. He said, I am true. There are two different kinds of true. There is true and not false, amen, and then there is true and not fake, praise God. The second one is the one that he is referring to when he says, I am true. He says, I am true and not fake. In other words, I'm real, I'm genuine. I am sincere. I am the real deal. In other words, I am God all by myself. I am true, praise the Lord. He said, I am he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. Once again, he is saying, all power and authority is his, amen. He is saying, I have the keys, uh, 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 praise the Lord, I have the keys to admit and I had the keys to shut out. I can let you in or I can keep you out. He was just reminding Philadelphia, even though that they were faithful, he was reminding them, I am God. I'm holy. I'm true. I have the keys to the door. I open doors. I shut doors. I am God. Can I get an amen? Verse 8, he says, I know thy works. Now he's talking to Philadelphia about what he knows about them. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. 
that, that phrase, open door, amen, is usually in the Bible refers to an opportunity of evangelism, amen. Philadelphia was in a place and they had a character, they had character and a personality that they were all about evangelism. Their very name meant brotherly love. They were about reaching out. They were set in that city, amen, on a mission, in a mission field, praise God. And so when he says, you are, I know thy works, I have set before you an open door. He says, I'm putting before you an opportunity of evangelism. I have opened the door so that you can go out. He called them and he says, you, you have little strength. This was not a knock. This was not a correction. He was simply acknowledging the fact that they acknowledged that even though they were faithful, even though they were evangelistic, even though they had the favor of God, they considered themselves of little strength. They never forgot that they had a dependency and a reliance on the almighty God, that one that was holy and true and opens the doors and shuts the doors. He knew it, amen, and he knew that they knew it. He didn't call them little strength because he was insulting them. He was saying, I, I can recognize that you recognize how much you need me. Amen. And I thought that was powerful. He said, you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Not only did they stay true to his word and his name, amen, in belief, but also in action, praise God. They were faithful to the name and they lived lives according to the very character of Jesus Christ. Amen. They stayed faithful. They stayed true. Amen. They depended on God. They relied on God and they never allowed that to waver. Amen. The features of Philadelphia, amen, if you really think about it, if you look, Brother Buford, at what they did, they really didn't do anything real spectacular. And that's kind of the powerful thing. What they did was just what was expected of them. They stayed faithful to his name. They stayed faithful to his word. When the open door was set there, they walked through it, amen. Whenever they had an opportunity to... to to be faithful to the name or spread his name or spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, they took that opportunity. They were simply faithful. The simplest word we can use for them is they were faithful. They loved people and one another, amen. They maintained a realistic self-image that they relied on God and they stayed true to his word. The greatest thing about Philadelphia is they were faithful. Isn't that awesome? What I love about this study and what I love about studying about churches like this is that, and I mentioned it whenever we first started studying this, and I, I want to I say it again, is these were not churches that got God's approval or his disapproval. These were not ones that he said, you have flunked and you have passed, amen. These were just churches. I think if we can get a grasp of that, we can realize that, in, that, that as long as there are human beings in a church, that church is going to be imperfect. It's going to have problems. It's going to have issues. It's going to have hang-ups. Now, some of the things that are mentioned in these churches are extreme things, but we encounter them in the Spirit on, on, a, on a regular basis, amen. We encounter them on a regular basis in our lives. What we have to do is like Philadelphia did. We just have to stay faithful. We have to stay true to God, amen, and then we can be accepted. Revelation 3, 9 says this, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan. This is him... Uh, 
giving them their, uh, his promise to them. He said, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee because thou hast kept the word of my patience. Say faithful. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Amen. He's saying, if you remain faithful, you will not lose out in the end. Behold, verse 11, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God which is new which is new Jerusalem which cometh down out of heaven from God and I will write upon him my new name he that hath an ear let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches he said since you are faithful to me I'm going to be faithful to you I'm going to I'm going to get you know David described it like I'm going to have your enemies at your feet amen. I'm going to have when the enemy encamps all around you I'm going to be there with you. Whenever they they are persecuting you I'm going to stand up for you because you're faithful. As long as you're faithful, I'm going to be faithful. Amen. And that's what he promises them. Praise God. Laodicea the third and last one. Amen is the if we want to put a title on it if you're taking notes and you want to put a little subtitle on the side by the, by the different churches. This one is known as the lukewarm church. Amen. First of all, we need to note that Laodicea was a very, very wealthy city. They had financial riches. They had textiles. They had great architecture. Amen. And they were known, amen, for their exports all over the world. One major issue, though, with and one you know characteristic that we can learn, and, and, and it's, it's interesting because when God begins to talk to people, it's funny, you know, God probably talks to me differently than he does you, Brother Buford. There are things that happen in my life. There are things that I go through. There are things that I have experienced that God will use those experiences to talk to me, to teach to me, to get my attention. And he will do that with you as well. Can I get an amen? And so it's, it's, it's kind of cool because there is uh, a characteristic in Laodicea with the water situation that God ends up using to teach them a lesson. And I think it's cool. One of the things that was there was they, had a, they didn't have a great water supply coming into the city. So they were obviously very vulnerable. In fact, uh, that city, because of their water supply situation, if an enemy was to surround that city and wanted to cut off their water, it would be a very short time that they would survive without, without uh, renewing their supply in that city. Amen. In other words, the enemy could cut them off and they would die of thirst or they would become very desperate so Laodicea became very accustomed to striking deals with even their enemies and they got to rubbing shoulders with them and playing nice and compromising and doing things like that and that's kind of how they got themselves in trouble the main water source interesting enough that came from six miles away through, a, through an aqueduct a man was from a natural hot spring so guess what happens it travels, it's hot water, it travels six miles. By the time it gets to the city, it is lukewarm. It's, it's unsatisfying, amen. It's not, it doesn't quench the thirst, praise God. And so later on you'll see that Jesus, uh, amen, addresses them and he uses that example so that he can teach them something. Revelation 3.14 says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, 
These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. What does it mean when he describes himself as the Amen? Well, the definition of Amen is so be it. He says, I am the so be it. I am the it is done. Amen. It starts here. It stops here. Praise God. If, if Jesus says it, it is true. If it's in his word, it is true. In fact, it said, Jesus said of himself, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Amen. So he says, I, the amen. These things says the amen and the faithful and true witness. That faithful and true witness is a description that says amen. I am in contrast of what you are, Laodicea. I am the faithful and true witness. And, and we're going to find out here later. And, and Laodicea was neither faithful nor true. Amen. And he says, I am the beginning of the creation of God. Here's what I love. Because we have so many examples. And it's great that Jesus says all of these things himself. Because we have so many examples when we are going through the church. And I took some time, uh, amen, in, in one of the churches and broke it down. Praise God. There simply is one God. Can I get an amen? When Jesus is talking, he's not referring to anybody else. He doesn't lean on any up, anybody else up there in heaven. When he is talking, he is talking as God. And he makes it clear here when he says, I am the beginning of the creation of God. Make no mistake, he is not talking about a sequence of numbers. He's not saying, I was the beginning of creation. He didn't say, God started with me. I, well, he created me and then he started creating everything else. That is not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I am the beginning of creation. In other words, I am the source. I am the origin. I am the ruler. I am where it all began, right here in Jesus Christ. I am the source and the origin of all things that are created. Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't play any games. He doesn't leave it for guesswork. There is but one Lord, one faith, hallelujah, one baptism. There is only one God, amen. It's interesting if you want, you can study for yourself. If you start looking for thrones in heaven, you're only going to find one throne. Can I get an amen to that? He gives Leah to see his assessment, amen, beginning with verse 15, 15 and 16. He said, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou were cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Is there anything less refreshing than a warm glass of water? Anybody? Are you with me this Wednesday night? I'm, I'm halfway through the last church. I, I'll get you out of here by 8.30. Is there anything less refreshing than a warm glass of water? You know, you mow the lawn, the sweat's pouring down your head, you're, you're soaking wet, you walk inside, and the first thing you want is a warm glass of water. No, no. So what he was saying here is you're neither hot nor cold. See, there are uses for hot water. There are uses for cold water. But there are very few things that we say, we want the water just room temperature. Very few things. There are, uh, hot water is, 
promotes healing. Hot water, amen, can kill bacteria. You know, where, when, it, when there's a boil order, you boil the water so that it will get hot enough that there's nothing in there that can make you sick or hurt you. Cold water is refreshing. It's reviving. Like I said, you come in out from a hot day and you get a good cold glass of ice water. There is just nothing like that, amen. There's no other drink that's more refreshing than that, it seems. And, and in any case, amen, lukewarm is unsatisfying, it's disappointing, amen, and it's stagnant, praise God. Try to think if there has been any greater curse in this life than empty religion. Not hot, not cold. Is there anybody that's harder, any soul that's harder to reach than somebody that has just enough Jesus that they think they've got enough Jesus? Is there two or three witnesses in the house? Is there anybody more difficult to reach, amen, than those that are lukewarm, those that are neither hot nor cold. They're not on fire, amen, or they're not lost, praise God. Jesus wants the church, and, and he's saying this to Laodicea, and I believe he wants it even today. He wants the church to either be on fire with a burning love for truth and righteousness, amen, uh, and, and, a and a zeal for the lost, and a fervency in prayer, amen, and a relationship with him, amen, because in the Bible, he wants us to be hot, because even in the Bible, there were those that were stone cold cold sinners, amen. Even the harlots and the taxpayers were more receptive than the Pharisees and the scribes. Lukewarm, talking about being lukewarm. Those that have just a religion, those that have just enough, amen, to, to think that they've got enough, amen. And that's a very dangerous place to be. You and I, you and I, amen, those that claim to know the truth and claim to have a relationship with God on a daily basis, we've got to make sure that we stay hot for God, that we stay burning, amen, in our love for Him, that we maintain that relationship that stays fresh and never becomes stagnant, amen. You and I, amen, full of the Holy Ghost, have got to make sure that we never find our place in a, in a, in a lukewarm state. Let's stay on fire for God, amen. In his sermon, uh, the sermon title was called An Earnest Warning Against Lukewarmness. How many of us ever heard of Charles Spurgeon? One, he made a list of what was kind of the characteristics of what he thought was a lukewarm church. And this is what he said. He said, they have prayer meetings, but there are few present, for they like quiet evenings at home. When more attend the meetings, they are still very dull, for they do their praying very deliberately and are afraid, to be, uh, afraid of being too excited. They are content to have all things done decently and in order, but vigor and zeal are considered to be vulgar. They may have schools, Bible classes, preaching rooms, and all sorts of agencies, but they might as well be without them, for no energy is displayed and no good comes of them. He's talking about the Laodiceans. They have deacons and elders who are excellent pillars of the church if the chief quality of pillars is to stand still and exhibit no motion or emotion. Spurgeon said, The pastor does not fly very far in preaching the everlasting gospel, and he certainly has no flame of fire in his preaching. The pastor may be a shining light of eloquence, but he certainly is not a burning light of grace, setting men's hearts on fire. Everything is done in a half hearted, listless, dead and alive way, as if it did not matter much whether it was done or not. Things are respect respectably done. The rich families are not offended, the skeptical party is conciliated, and the good people are not quite alienated 
things are made pleasant all around. The right things are done, but as to doing them with all your might, soul, and strength, a Laodicean church has no notion of what that means. They are not so cold as to abandon their work or to give up their meetings for prayer or to reject the gospel. They are neither hot for the truth nor hot for conversions, hot for holiness. They are not fiery enough to burn the stubble of sin, nor zealous enough to make Satan angry, nor fervent enough to make living sacrifices of themselves upon the altar of their God. They are neither hot nor cold. That's Charles Spurgeon. Amen. we got to be careful, praise God, that we are on fire for God. Can I get an amen? Jesus said... If you're lukewarm, I will spew you or vomit you out of my mouth. Amen. He said because, uh, uh, amen, he was able to relate to them because of their experience with the water in their city. He was able to get to their understanding that you know, Laodicea, what it's like to dip a cup down into lukewarm water and bring that to your mouth. You know how unsatisfying that is. You know how disappointing that is. He says, if, if I taste a church that tastes like that, I'll just not even swallow them. I'll spit it out of my mouth. That's how dissatisfied he was with the lukewarm church. He said in verse 17, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods. Now he's saying, now he's going to talk about Amen. He's going to give them their correction. He's going to talk to them about what they think of themselves. He said, because you say, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Watch this. Jesus was saying, this is what you think you are. You think you are rich and wealthy and have need of nothing. He said, if you were going to assess yourself, this is what you think. You're rich and have need of nothing and you are wealthy. You, are, you're, you, have, you, have all, you have no need of anything. Amen. He said, here is the reality, though. Here is my assessment of you. You are wretched. You are miserable. You are poor. You are blind. And you are naked. You are wealthy with goods, but you are bankrupt with God. What a, what a charge, man. He is really letting Laodicea have it. This is what he wanted them to do in verse 18. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white in raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Think about that. He is just, man, he's laying it down for them. He is letting them have it. He's telling them, you're wretched, you're miserable, you're naked. I'll spit you out of my mouth and all those things. But then he, he wraps it up in the end, amen, and says, just remember those that I love, I chasten. If I didn't love you, I'd just cut you off. If I didn't love you, I'd just get rid of you. If I didn't love you, I'd just replace you. But because he loves them, and we learned this, amen, when we talked about Sister Sorrel's the Jezebel spirit in, the, in one of the other churches, amen. When we talked about that spirit, he said, I have given her time to repent. He loves folks that he gives them time to come around. He gives them time and opportunity, one after the other after the other. And as hard as he was, and in my opinion, Laodicea was the worst of the seven churches, the worst condition, amen. But even though they were the, in the worst condition of the other seven churches, he still said, those that I love, I chasten. And he said, what I want you to do, therefore, is repent. 
Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh, I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Amen. Even though this was arguably the worst of the seven churches, they got the promise. Amen. Almost, it was like he described going to heaven to them like if you can turn it around if you'll repent if you'll get your ways right if you'll get zealous and come back and run to me I'll you'll get to sit down a man in the throne just like I did and he even related himself he said if you'll overcome like I overcame he's telling them I'm on your side I'm with you I'm for you I'm not against you but you're making some mistakes you're allowing yourself to compromise and get warm with the world and rub shoulders with them and and and, and you're, you're satisfied with that lukewarmness he's saying I want you to stop that just shake yourself out of that and come running back to me and if you do I love you amen and I will accept you back and I will bring you home with me isn't that powerful he that hath an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches and I'm, I'm, I'm almost done a few more sentences I know that if you're like me, going through these seven churches, how many's ever read the seven churches in Revelation before I taught on them? You've read them for yourself. How many of you, while you were reading them, either tried to find which one of those churches was your church? Anybody? You'll be honest. You say, oh, well, we're kind of an Ephesus church, or we're kind of a Philadelphia church, or maybe we're a mix of two or three or four of them, or. How many's ever done it on an individual basis? You 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 brought it personal, and you said, you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of lukewarm right now in my life. Or I'm nobody ever done that. Mostly tried to apply it to your church. I think that's probably natural to do. We see that God writes letters to seven different churches, and we want to try and figure out which one of those churches is us, or are we a blend of all of them. And I'll tell you this: trying to find out what if if you've asked the question while I've been teaching, which one of these churches is Lighthouse? I'm going to give you the answer. Lighthouse is the church of O'Fallon. Lighthouse is the church of O'Fallon. Pretty simple, right? We will encounter these things, and that's the purpose of Jesus writing these letters and allowing us to see these letters. That's the purpose. So that we can recognize that there are uh, there are things that they get involved in that we have a chance to read and say, I don't want to get involved in that, either on a personal level or as a church. That we, we, can, we should guard ourselves against being lukewarm. That we should guard ourselves against allowing a Jezebel spirit to rule in this church that, or in our personal lives. I think we can bring an individual too. That we ought to guard ourselves. That we uh, do like uh, Jesus said to, to th- at least three of the churches. He said, you have hated the Nicolaitans like I hate the Nicolaitans. How many remember who the Nicolaitans were? They were separatists. They liked to put people in different groups. They liked to say, this is the poor group. This is the rich group. This is the popular group. This is the, he said, you have, he, when he commended some of the churches, he said, you hate the Nicolaitans just like I hate the Nicolaitans. He doesn't want us to be separate, separated. He wants us to be unit. He wants us to have unity in our church and in our lives. Will we be diverse? Yes, but we cannot be divided. Amen. So 
when, so just stop yourself from trying to figure out which one of the seven churches you attend, amen. Because you attend Lighthouse, which is the church of O'Fallon. And there's Sanctuary, which is the church of Hazelwood. And there's New Life, which is the church of, of Bridgeton, amen. And each and every church and each and every Christian has the responsibility to watch and guard their life and make sure that we become the church, amen, that God wants us to be. That if we find those errors, and we will find errors because we got humans in this church. We got humans running the church. We got humans following the church. We got humans coming to the church. When we find errors, when we find problems, when we come up against issues, amen, it's our responsibility to take care of that. And God said in every one of his promises, watch this, when he described himself to every one of the churches, he said, whatever it is that you lack and whatever it is that you need and whatever it is that you come up against, I'm the answer. Watch this. And then he ended. After no matter how bad he told them, how big he told them they had failed. At the end, every time, the answer was repent. Run back to me. And I will embrace you. Every time. Not one of these churches was written off. You know, we want to stamp fail, pass, good church, bad church. It's just a church, just a church, and we need God more than anything else. Let's stand together tonight. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for sticking with me through this lesson, amen. I've enjoyed teaching it. I hope you have learned something. I've learned something teaching it, amen. Praise the Lord. Let's be watchful. Let's be mindful. Let's be prayerful. Let's be faithful. Let's be unified. Amen. Let's remember our first love. Let's remember our first works. And let's stay, let's simplify it like Philadelphia did. Let's just do what we're supposed to do. That easy. And God, amen, will do what he's supposed to do. And that's take care of us. Amen. Why don't we pray in dismissal? Lord Jesus, we love you tonight, God. We're so thankful for your faithfulness to us, your power, your love, your mercy, your grace, your patience, your long-suffering. We're so glad that you're slow to anger. And even greater than this, God, we're glad that you chasten those that you love. Oh, Lord, if we get off path in our individual lives or as a church, I know and I'm confident, God, that you will speak to us, that you will nudge us, that you will jerk us back into line, oh, God. And we depend on that, Lord Jesus. We rely on you today, I pray. God, that you would go with each and every heart and soul and mind in this place. As we leave here, let us continue, God, to daily build a relationship with you in prayer and fasting, God, and studying your word and being faithful, amen, to the house of God and faithful in our unity with one another and in brotherly love, God. Let us continue to love one another. And, Lord, when you set before us an open door, let us go through that door. Let us evangelize our community. Let us evangelize our families, God. In in the name of Jesus, we want to go with you with our hand in your hand, anointed by your spirit, God, according to your word. And everybody say in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.